their album entitled Hackney Diamonds, that is the Rolling Stones and the hit single Angry. We also started off with this podcast-only edition of Pacific Street Blues, appropriately enough, with the song Start Me Up. So many times people say to me, the Rolling Stones ended when Mick Taylor left the band, or nothing good has been recorded since then. Well, that's just nonsense. And so we're going to do this podcast today taking a look at the Ronnie Wood era of the Rolling Stones from about 1976 until 2023. And they've just announced a tour for next summer, so at least into 2024. Let's go into the 1976 release, Black and Blue. And what's kind of interesting about this album for me is I was living in England at that time. When the album came out, I applied for tickets to see him at Earl's Court. I didn't get those, but I did get a discount coupon to go buy the album, which I did. So let's hear music from the Stones as they begin the Ronnie Wood era. So fast, 
some, you know, Ron's got to do the Supremes and the Four Tops, and I'm going to throw in the Temptation. It's a, it's a tall order for two. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
yourself There's just you and nobody, nobody else Cause I miss you baby
I tried to see the Rolling Stones in 1976 when I was living in England. I didn't get tickets, but by 1978 they were readily available. There was a department store here in Omaha called Brandeis, and there was a ticket office where you could go and buy tickets for the big arena in Omaha downtown. And we were in there trying to buy tickets for a show. I don't remember what show, but as we were there, the lady was putting on the board, and that was back in the day when you would take the little letters out of the separate cartons and spell it out on a... uh, I don't know, a perforated board. And it was the rule, and we were attracted. Ian, rolling, and we knew they were going to have tickets for the Rolling Stones, but we just didn't know where. And so as she went through the process and then eventually turned around, we're like, I'll take two. (laughs) And it was that quick. We just bought tickets. We went to see them in uh, Boulder, Colorado at Folsom Field, and it was a terrific lineup. I saw them there, I think, again in 81, and George Thorogood and Peter Tosh were on the bill both times. So the other headliner, uh, I think, in 78 was Kansas. And in 81, I think it was Heart, if I remember correctly. But uh, 1978 album, the Some Girls record. And uh, considered by many to be a fabulous return to uh, the era for the Stones when they were really rocking it up good.
a little less. It's great fun, right? Like yeah, but it's great fun. But let's hear it. Let's hear the fucking track. Play it with the track.
Kind of a ballad there from Keith Richards from the album Emotional Rescue and All About You. And it's kind of interesting is that throughout the Stones career, uh, I think it began with Between the Buttons. Keith would sing on almost every album at least one solo song. And I'm thinking on uh, later in the careers in the 2000s, he actually began to take two on a couple of albums. But uh, music there from Keith Richards and the Rolling Stones. We're taking a look at uh, the Ronnie Wood era of the Rolling Stones and all the great music that was contained in there. And, of course, some hit the radio. Much of it did not. Radio changed, but the listening audience really didn't. And they continued to sell quite well. Well, it's during this time I kind of got to know Ian McLaughlin. And McLaughlin was in a band called The Small Faces, which became The Faces. And then in 1975, when The Faces were breaking up and Ronnie Wood was moving from The Faces and working with Rod Stewart to working with The Rolling Stones, he brings McLaughlin with him. And so later, decades later, I got to know Mac through several interviews when he was releasing solo records and actually went down to Austin, Texas for South by Southwest. And we basically went on a four day drunk (laughs) and it was a lot of fun. But we had gone to see the Basin Street Records showcase. And at that time, I could tell he was kind of thinking about something and I didn't know what. And so we're talking about it. And he's got this, what eventually came out to be a four CD set by The Faces. And you can get it, it's out on Rhino Records. And he was saying like, well, how do I market this? They're asking me to come up with a plan and I don't really have any ideas. And well, Max the kind of guy where he says, you know, you're doing the interview with him and he says, Rick, you know what comes after the second margarita? I'm like, no, what? The third margarita. That's kind of his sense of humor. And he's one of those guys, much like Ron Wood, where you meet him and he's immediately your best friend. And you just enjoy his company because he's very gregarious, easygoing guy and a lot of fun. So I say, well, well, in terms of marketing this faces thing, you know, you could work with the retailers and, and that kind of thing. And he's like, no, no, no. I said, well, why don't you get Ron or uh, Rod Stewart to go out and do interviews for you? And he kind of motions for me to lean forward and he says, uh, well, Rick, you don't understand. Rod's a fucking cunt. <laughs> and this is a guy that had toured with Rod Stewart, not only in the faces, but much throughout uh, Rod's solo career. So it made it kind of fun. Well, Ronnie Wood had played with the Stones and been on a Rolling Stones record prior to joining the band. In fact, he co-wrote a song called It's Only Rock and Roll. And it's back when he's recording his second solo record, which features everybody from George Harrison to Keith Richards to Charlie Watts and Bill Wyman is on the record. Rod Stewart's on the record. Willie Weeks is on the record. Everybody's on this record. And so we're going to hear a few tracks of him from that album, including a track... Uh, we're about to hear, which is Am I Grooving You? And you'll hear Mick Jagger featured prominently on the vocals here. And then take a look at the guy, and you'll hear Rod Stewart featured prominently on these vocals. And at the time that that's going on, they're clearly jamming. And they're in the basement one time, one night, at what's called the Twick, which was a home that uh, Pete Townsend had owned about a mile from Mick's house in Richmond, right on the banks of the river. Eventually, Ronnie Wood buys that from him. And they're going to record It's Only Rock and Roll. And what kind of makes it interesting is a couple of things. Number one is when you see them in concert, the time signature they're playing it in live is very different from the time signature they recorded it from. So if you hear a live version, you can hear the difference right away in the tempo and the way it's played. The other thing that's interesting about it is when it's written, David Bowie is in the studio with him and he's playing saxophone on it. And so as we listen to that, 
we'll hear introduction, Ronnie Wood, into the Rolling Stones.
want to hear what he's saying. I can't listen to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my effect's affecting me. I don't know about it's doing it by wrong. The, the Willy Vanilli bit. <laughs> but, but. <laughs>
So we're looking at 1983, and the Rolling Stones had just recorded an album called Undercover. It deals a lot with some of the uh, conflicts going on in Central America and South America and the politics, and it's really one of the few albums where the Stones are focused on kind of modern political issues. So if you think about a band that's released Street Fight and Man and the evolution of that, and I saw a documentary the other day where it was taking a look at the events of Ultimat and the suggestion or the thesis of the video or the documentary was that after the tragedy of Ultimat, Jagger changes his kind of approach about being this sort of uh, sympathetic, satanic figure in music culture. And he does that until the early 90s with Voodoo Lounge. But he really moves away from that. And as the band moves away from that, of course, the narrative and the songs, they all kind of begin to change. And then we kind of see them edging it back. But what's interesting about Undercover 1983 is when they did Tattoo You, the band was really having a hard time getting together. Keith had been uh, using drugs heavily, so Mick had kind of taken over, uh, running the band by himself. And now Keith is beginning to get sober, and he's expecting to take his role as the second leading member, if you will, uh, founding member of the band. And Jagger kind of resents it, and it's going to create stress in the band for about 10 years, including on this album. Well, this next track we're going to listen to is a track called Too Much Blood, which is one of the more really bizarre songs by the Stones. Now, I love the song. It's a great song. But you can hear the sort of Quincy Jones uh, textures, the way that the song is produced. And it reminds me, if you think about it, it's kind of coming out in the era of Michael Jackson. And I keep thinking of the influence that the Thriller album may have had, or this may have influenced Thriller, I'm not sure. But you can kind of hear that 80s sort of studio texture to it. And the other thing that makes it equally interesting is the narrative, what Jagger sings about. It's just, uh, it's about a guy in Japan that cuts up his girlfriend, puts her in the refrigerator, and eats her piece by piece. Yeah, it's not pop music, is it? Let's hear it. Yes. You know? 
took her to his apartment, cut off her head, put the rest of her body in the refrigerator, and a piece by piece. Put her in the refrigerator, put her in the freezer. And when her ate her, took her bones to the Bois de Boulogne. By chance, the taxi driver noticed him burying the bones. Don't believe me. Truth is stranger than fiction. He drives there every night.
my knob.
couple of tracks there from the 1986 album Dirty Work, and really the spat between Jagger and Richards is at, is at its height now. And it's not going to really begin to calm down until about 1989 with the release of the Steel Wheels album and a series of massive tours that the band puts together for the next 25 years. Well, this particular track here, which is called Back to Zero, is interesting because it's only the second time in the band's history that they did a co-write with another member of the band. In this case, it was a guy named Chuck Lavelle. And of course, Chuck Lavelle had started his music recording career in a band called Sea Level. And then he graduated into the Allman Brothers. And eventually, he's been a touring member of the Rolling Stones probably for about 30 years now and the musical director for the band. So he co-writes that song, Back to Zero. And another interesting aspect of that song is that Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin is playing the guitar on part of that song. Now, Page has played with the band throughout the He's played with all the bands throughout the years of the classic rock period. He was actually a studio musician long before he joined the Yardbirds and then formed Led Zeppelin later. And recently, the Stones reissued a song with Page recorded during the Exile on Main Street era in the early 1970s, a track called Scarlet. So the band is kind of looking for other projects. Mick, I'm sorry, Ronnie and Keith go off and they formed a band called the New Barbarians and it includes guys like um, Zigaboo Modaliste from The Meters and Stanley Clark, a very famous jazz bass player, and Ian McCloggan, who of course was with Ronnie Wood in The Small Faces, or I'm sorry, in The Faces, and then had joined The Stones. And so it's really kind of an excuse to go out and play, do a lot of drugs, and avoid the domesticity of living at home. Now, years ago, I got a chance to meet uh, Phil Chen. And Phil Chen became the replacement bass player in the New Barbarians for their only, only for their last gig. And it was interesting because Phil Chen was also a studio musician in Europe, in England. And he had played and recorded with guys like Jeff Beck and Blow by Blow and Wired. And he had recorded like uh, during the kind of the disco era with Rod Stewart. And then he was in a band called the Starfleet Project, which was Brian May from Queen. And Eddie Van Halen were in that band together as well. But what was kind of interesting is Dana Altman, the filmmaker from Omaha, had a party one time. And uh, Robbie Krieger and, and uh, Ray Manzarek were in town doing kind of a Doors uh, version of a band that they had once been in and Phil Chen was in the band and Dana happened to know the lead singer so they came over to his studio and I got to spend a lot of time talking to Phil and kind of getting to know him a little bit so much in fact that he had me send him a bootleg of his performance with the New Barbarians when they performed I think it was Nebworth was the show that they had performed together now the band never really made an official recording there's lots of bootlegs and there's kind of a sloppy uh, double CD set out now for the New Barbarians on CD, but the quality's not really great. In fact, the band only ever recorded together one time. And it was interesting as I was interviewing Ian McCloggan and he was telling me and told us on this show about that process of bringing everybody together and going to the Shangri-La recording studio, which of course is Rob Fraboni's recording studio and he is Keith Richards guitar tech and neighbor now as I understand it anyway they record one song it's called truly you came on time another interesting thing is they did a cover as the new barbarians called let's go steady and this has shown up numerous times on bootlegs with uh, Keith Richards and what makes that kind of interesting is not only does he perform it as a member of the new barbarians 
but it was a song written by Neil Sedaka. I love, I love, I love my calendar girl. Yeah, that guy. And Sedaka was a songwriter in the Brill Building along with guys like Carol King and Paul Simon and Neil Diamond and Al Cooper. Lots of Jewish kids get together and write in pop music. So let's hear from the New Barbarians.
forget him Chip of the iceberg, we get colder as the evening goes on, don't Chip, worry. Chip of the iceberg, one of my heroes when I was growing up. Yeah.